Thank you, worship team. What a great job. And um, I just want to share this. I had several things go off on me during praise and worship, but we're, we're living in a time, as I just prayed, where there are so many issues that are being thrown at us as Christians. And with the social media or anti-social media, as I like to call it, with social media and the news and all the avenues that people have at us with their opinions, their ideas, so many of them are to distract us from the simplicity of what we're called to do. Jesus called us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. He didn't tell us where we were going. He didn't talk about the issues of the day. He didn't talk about the leaders, the rulers. He didn't talk about any other issue. But your call is to follow me. And anything that distracts us from our eyes on Jesus, anything that, anything that distracts us day in and day out from simply following Him, no matter how good it looks, no matter how right it looks, it is not of God because it is pulling us away from the one thing Jesus has called us to do. And if we'll follow Him, He'll get you where He wants you to be. Jesus told His disciples at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, He said, Many of you will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, I cast out demons in your name. I did all these wonderful things in your name. And I will say, depart from me. I, I never knew you because you practiced lawlessness. You did what you thought was right. Even though it may have been right, you did it because you thought it was right or somebody else thought it was right. But you didn't follow me. And I'm just sharing this with you tonight because... There is so much out there right now. There's so much gossip out there among Christians that are fighting with each other and arguing each other over things that are not of God. But they look good, and but they appeal. Listen, they appeal to the mind, and they appeal to the flesh. But they don't appeal to the spirit. But so many Christians are carnal, and they can't tell the difference between their mind, their flesh, and their spirit. So the simple thing to do, you don't need to be distracted, figure out what to do. You just need to ask yourself, is this Jesus that I'm following? Is this what he would say? Is this what he would have me to do? Or is this what everybody else is doing? It's critical in this day and age because Satan has come just as the Spirit of God said he would to distract and pull off course many Christians. And so, read your Bible, pray, keep your relationship with God real and hot, and you'll be okay. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to, this is the night to pray, but I want to just share a couple of things with you that are on my heart to help us um, kind of focus in and encourage us. And in some things that, that I've been learning, I've been a Christian for over 42 years, and there's some things about prayer. I'm, I just came into this year with a sense that this was a year where we really need to learn how to pray. And not just pray, 
but pray what I'm going to read from James. James chapter 5, verse 16. Such an important verse. Confess your trespasses or faults to one another. We won't talk about that tonight. Pray for one another. That's what we're here to do tonight. Notice this, that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails, that's an old English word, accomplishes or produces much. God's will and God's plan is that your prayer personally and us as a congregation together should accomplish much. The church in the United States, and this is not every church, but it's most churches, and to some degree it's been us. We try to deal with the issues of our life. We try to deal with the issues of our family. We try to deal with the issues of our community, of our church, of our nation, by, by all kinds of other means which God has not ordained with His anointing. And we've never learned how to develop the one thing God's given us that releases His mighty power into those situations. And it's prayer. And that's partly because prayer is the most unselfish thing you can do. Prayer, especially for other people, it's the most unselfish thing for you can do because you're talking to God about somebody else's need, not about yours. Not only that, you don't get credit for it. People can't see your great prayer life. And if they can, it's not effective prayer because Jesus said, if you're praying so other people can see it, God doesn't. And so the only effective prayer is a prayer that produces results. And so we need to focus. That's one of the reasons last year we took the Wednesday night Bible study and we devoted it every week with some interruptions that we've had to learning how to pray together. And so we're going to continue to do that. But I want to look at this verse because the last sentence says, the effective, fervent prayer... Now, in the Greek, the language this was originally written in, the word effective and fervent is just one word. It's the, it's the English translators that broke it into two words because it is such a powerful word. And it's the Greek word energeo from which we get our the word energy. And it's not so much the energy with which you pray. This is what that would kind of... I've always read that as the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous means, which means in order for my prayer to be effective, i got to be sweating, and i got to be screaming, and i got to be yelling, and i got to be passionate. But if you look at Jesus' prayer life, which we'll look at in a minute, I don't see him yelling and screaming and, and, and working up a sweat. I see him just speaking to situations or speaking to his father. So I looked into that, and that's not what that word means. It means that your prayers are, ought to be effective. There is energy. There is spiritual power in our prayers. And then it says, avails or accomplishes much. So there is power produced in prayer. In fact, some of the other translations talk about that, the effect, powerful prayer at work through our prayers. So we have to begin to realize that prayer is the most powerful thing you can do. If you've got children that are away from the Lord, the, your prayers for them are infinitely more powerful than anything you can say to them or anything you can do. And we, want to try to, we often want to try to manipulate our relatives, and, and it doesn't work. 
But prayer is get God's involved in the situation, whereas all our own efforts leaves Him out, and we try to work it, and it doesn't work. So prayer is the most powerful thing the church has been given. And we are at a critical time. I've talked about that a little bit on Sunday. I'll probably talk a little bit about it more this Sunday. We're at a time when there are things going on in this world, spiritual things going on in this world, that our programs, our procedures, and all the things that man can come up with aren't doing anything. But it's prayer. Prayer begins to turn things around. And where it's a great cause, when it's a great issue, it can take some time, and it can take faith, and it can take perseverance. And so the first thing we need to realize is God has designed the greatest weapon that He's given to us is prayer. There's a great video that I've I've shown twice here over the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, by Jim Cimbala, the great pastor of a great church, the Brooklyn Tabernacle in, in, in Brooklyn. And uh, he's written some great books on prayers, but this is a, a, le- a message he did back in like 85 or 86 at a praise and worship conference. But it's all about the heart of prayer, and he goes through I can still remember him saying this. In the book of Acts, they didn't know what else to do. So whenever they didn't know what to do, what did they do? They prayed. Whenever, they were fought, they, whenever there was pressure came against them, what did they do? They came together and they prayed. When they did, again, when they didn't know what to do, they prayed. When the Apostle Paul was knocked off his horse by the Holy Spirit and he was brought blind into a house, he spent three days. What was he doing? He was praying because he didn't know what happened to him. He didn't understand. So when we don't understand, what are we to do? Pray. When we feel helpless, what do we do to pray? It's the most powerful thing we have, and yet it's the most neglected thing. Because it's so much easier to do other things. It's so much easier to call people. It's so much easier to post something on Facebook. It's so much easier to do other things. It's so much easier to do things with our mind and things with our our flesh. It takes discipline and spiritual maturity to put that aside and just get on our knees and just pray. The other thing is prayer is what develops your relationship with God, far more than anything else you can do. Spending time in the Word and spending time with Him develops your relationship with Him. And it takes discipline because it isn't easy because of all our flesh and all of our our, our wrong thinking about God. And so you just have 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 to do it. So we're going to look at tonight just really two things. We're going to look at Jesus as our example for prayer. He teaches us some things about prayer, both as an example, and then we're going to look at him briefly as our teacher because he taught his disciples about prayer. And since we're his disciples, we can learn about those things also. We're just going to look at, at, at his example. We don't know a lot about his prayer, about his, how he prayed. We know some things about where he prayed and when he prayed. He would often spend time alone in prayer. Early in the morning, the disciples would often get up and they wouldn't find him, but he would be out some solitary place praying. He would often stay up all night praying before he chose out of the group of disciples that followed him, before he chose the twelve, he stayed up all night in prayer. And I know you've heard this before, but I need to hear this tonight. If Jesus, who walked in perfect communion with the Father, if he needed to pray much, why do we think we don't. Pastor Sam, the founding pastor of this church, I'll never forget one statement he made that startled me and, and really had a deep impact on me. I was sitting somewhere back over there in one of the old blue chairs, 
and I wasn't on staff then, I was still practicing law. And he said, he said, when we get up in the day and we go through a day without spending time in prayer, what we're really saying is, God, I don't need you today. I can handle today on my own. And we need to realize we need him every moment of every day. So John chapter 11 is, is just an example, and I chose this because it's an example of the confidence that Jesus had in prayer. We've talked about this before, but a lot of the reasons that some people struggle in prayer is they just lack confidence that God's really there. We talked about this, I think, two weeks ago, that God's really here. I mean, He's really here with us tonight. When you pray in the morning, He's really there listening to you, waiting to hear what you have to say, even though He knows it. He wants to hear from you. He wants to answer your prayers. That's why He tells us over and over again, ask and you'll receive. He doesn't say ask and I might do it. Ask and you'll receive. So this is, it. This, this is the story of Jesus at Lazar, Lazarus's grave. And he's already talked with Mary and Martha. He's wept. And he's told them he's to take away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. This was, a, this was a cave, a tomb, and there was a big stone rolled in front of it. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Stay right there. Now think about that. He's not saying, Father, I, Father, I, I have confidence that you're, that you're going to hear me. He's not saying, Father, he, notice he doesn't build it up. He doesn't have to build up his confidence. He says, Father, I thank you that you've already heard me. Now, is this because he'd already prayed? I don't believe so. It was his confidence that his father already knew what he was going to ask. He knew the father's disposition. Let's put it that way. He knew the father's disposition towards him when he came to talk to him. And the father's disposition was, whatever you ask, son, I've already decided I'm going to do it. So well, that, that, that's Jesus. And of course he would do that for Jesus. But in 1 John chapter 5, this apostle that wrote these words says this, this is the confidence that we have before God. Not Jesus, that we have before God. That if we ask anything that's in accordance with His will. We'll talk about that a little later on. He has heard you. That needs to sink in. We're talking about right now what Jesus is saying here. Jesus had total confidence in His Father's disposition towards Him in terms of answering His prayers. So much so that Jesus said, I know that you've already already answered this prayer. Now, it wasn't done yet. But in God's mind, he'd already answered the prayer. So listen to this. Prayer is not to get God to do something. I need to let that sink in. Prayer is not to get God to do something. From God's side, he's already done it. Genesis 17 and then in Romans chapter 4. And Genesis 17 is where God tells Abraham 
his promise that he would be the father of many nations. And in Genesis 12, he makes the promise. In Genesis 15, God enters into a covenant with Abraham. And in Genesis 17, now what God says is, See, I have already made you a father of many nations. So in the mind and heart of God, it was already done, even though it was going to take another 20 years for it to happen. The 20 years were for Abraham's faith to catch up with the promise God had made. And so in Romans 4, it repeats that. God says, Paul says, As for me, as far as I'm concerned, I have made you a father of many nations. So when we come to God about anything that's His will, and we'll talk about that in a moment, we know this, God's side of it is, I've already done it. So you don't have to talk me into it. I've already done it. I have to talk you into asking me. I know you've already heard me. Verse 42. I know that you always hear me. We're talking about the confidence that Jesus had that his father was not just listening because the word hear doesn't mean Yeah, I heard what you said. It means I heard it with my heart and I've answered it. I know that you always hear me. Do we have that confidence today? It's a good question to ask yourself. Do I have that confidence whenever I pray? Whether it's on your knees in the morning or whether it's in the car just talking to Him or whether it's here tonight, do we have this same confidence that He always hears us because it's necessary for effective prayer because our side of it Jesus said in Mark 11 24 23 whatsoever things you desire when you pray 24 when you pray believe that you've already received it why because this is the confidence we have that if we ask anything in accordance with his will we know he heard us and the next verse says and if we know we heard us we know we already have the request we may know. We may not see it with our five senses, but it's already done in the spirit realm. It's already ours in the spirit realm. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing here, I said this, that they may believe you sent me. So Jesus is saying, the reason I'm talking out loud is not because I don't think you hear me. I'm talking out loud. So when this happens, they know you did it and not me. Then it's interesting. We're not going to go on and look at it here. But what does Jesus then do? He speaks to a man that was in the grave four days to come forth. He didn't ask God to bring him forth. His prayer was at the situation. And so much of our idea of prayer is we're asking God to do things when God's asking us to speak for him into that situation. That's another lesson. We've talked about it before, but we need to talk about it again. The real purpose of intercessory prayer is not to convince God to do something. It's to exercise the authority God gave to us on His behalf so that His will is carried out. 
So now let's look at, let's go to John 15 and look at Jesus as the teacher to his disciples. We could have gone back to to Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus taught them, when they come to him and say, Master, would you teach us how to pray? And what's behind that is rabbis, which were teachers that uh, men gathered around as their followers or disciples. They would have different ways of praying, different patterns of prayer. And and so Jesus' disciples, seeing him as their rabbi, they want to know how it is that you want us to pray. And that's when he teaches them some basic principles about prayer is, first of all, when you pray, you're talking to your father. He's God, but he's your father. So you're talking to him out of a relationship with someone that loves you, that takes care of you, and that wants to answer your prayers. And the second thing he tells them is, don't do what the Gentiles do, those people that have no covenant with God. Their trust is in how they pray how long they pray, the patterns that they pray, whether they stand, they kneel. Their focus is on what they're doing, not on who they're talking to. Don't be like them. Because your Father knows what you need before you ask. And that's intended to communicate confidence because He cares about us enough to be involved in our needs. He w- he's waiting for us to ask Him so He can meet the needs that He's already planned, already prepared to meet. So that's the beginning of his teaching to them on prayer. And now they've followed him for three and a half years. And now at the end of his time with him, them on the earth, he's now going to talk to them again about prayer because they've now had some experience with it. And he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So he's using a visual example to teach them a relationship that he has with them. I am the vine and you are the branches. So together, we're a tree. I'm the part of the tree that's the trunk. You're the part of the tree that's the branch. He who abides in me, and I in him. Abiding means to have a vital living connection with. That branch abides in that tree in the sense that it is, it, it, it is, it is vitally connected to that tree. So much so that the life sap of that tr- trunk tree flows up through the s- trunk and flows out through the branch and produces its fruit at the other end of the branch. So the, the trunk absolutely needs the branch to produce its fruit and the branch absolutely needs the tree, the trunk, to survive and through which the fruit and the, and the leaves are produced. And that's the image he's giving him. He who abides in me, and I abide in him, bears much fruit. Now, that means generally the fruit of his life, his love, his character through us. But he's more specifically here referring to prayer. And we'll see that in a minute. Without me, the word without means apart from me. You can do or produce nothing. Next verse. So that speaks of a relationship. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered, and they gather them and throw them into fire and they're burned. Next verse. This is the key one. If you abide in me, so if you're living in this vital relationship with me, And my words abide in you. 
You shall ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Let's take this apart. If you abide in me, we just talked about that. That's the first condition. And my words abide in you. This is where I think so many Christians miss it, don't understand it. For the word to abide in me doesn't mean that I've read it. It doesn't even mean that I can quote it. It doesn't even mean that I can memorize it. Because I can read it, I can quote it, and I can memorize it in my brain. And it never gets into my heart. He's talking about the word getting down into your heart and abiding, living, existing in your heart. We don't have time to get into this tonight, but the, but the Bible talks so much about the importance of your heart. We, we see in, in, in Proverbs 4, verse 23, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues, the forces, the spiritual forces of life. They also flow the spiritual forces of death, because the things that produce death, Satan tries to sow into your heart. Hatred, envy, jealousy, strife, all of those are spiritual forces that he tries to sow into your heart. But the Word is what we have to sow into our heart, and that happens by meditation. That happens by chewing on the Word, meditating on the Word, and then applying the Word in our life. So if, if we will abide, this is His promise, if we will abide in Him, remain in Him, live in an active, lo- growing relationship of dependency upon Him, and of loving Him, of following Him, this is why Satan works so hard to get us distracted from following Him. We talked about that at the beginning. He doesn't want you abiding in Him. Because when we abide in Him, there's authority. In, his authority and His power flows through us. Jesus walked in the authority of God the Father. The centurion recognized this in, in, in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5. He comes to Jesus and He says, My servant's lying at home, suffering terribly with the palsy. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. Wow, anybody would say, wow, Jesus is coming to my house, he's going to heal him. And the centurion says, no, no, that's not what I was going to ask you. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. And you don't need to, is the implication. All you need to do is say the word here, and, and my servant will be healed there. Why? Because I recognize that you're somebody under authority, and therefore you're in authority. Didn't Jesus say over and over again, I only do what I see my Father doing? Only. I only say what I hear my Father saying. Jesus had no will of His own. His only will was to do the Father's will. So the Father could trust Him as a channel, as a branch to flow His authority and His power through Him. And then Jesus left and told His disciples, the works that I do shall you do also and greater works shall you do because I go to the Father. Jesus is saying here, the same authority and power I have in prayer, I'm giving to you in prayer. In fact, in, in, in John 16, he gives us his name. So we can stand in situations as if he were standing in situations. It's his power of attorney. And he can do that because if we abide in him and his words abide in us, 
We can ask whatever we want. God trusts your desires. He said, whatever you ask, I'll do. If you're abiding in Him, and His words abide in you, because then you're not going to ask for something that's contrary to God's will. In fact, what you will do every time is you will only pray things that that God wants done. And when we do that, there's a greater greater confidence. There's a greater confidence. His life and His authority can then flow through us and produce His fruit. Jesus was successful in His prayer life because He was totally submitted to the Father's will being done through Him. So, Let's just take some of these principles and begin to apply them in our life. We're going to begin to pray for some things. Some of these things, the first thing we're going to pray for, uh, you may like, you may not like. It doesn't matter. It's what the Bible says to do. We've got to learn to set aside our agenda. We've got to learn to set aside what we think is right and wrong. We've got to learn to set aside what we think, what we want to do and what we want to see done. If we're ever going to see God flow through our prayer life, and produce things, we have to do what Jesus did. Jesus set his agenda aside. He had no agenda of his own. In fact, the rich young ruler came to him and says, good master, he says, no, no, there's no one good in their nature but my father. The goodness I have, I got from him. We have to learn to set aside, and this is what's, this is what's bombarding us in our society, people's opinions about what's right and wrong and good and bad. That's exactly what Satan brought into the garden to them. Exercise your own judgment of what's good or bad about what God says. So we have to conform our thinking, our will, to submit it to God's will and God's thinking if we're ever going to have God's authority and power flow through us. So we're going to begin tonight. I'm going to cover some subjects and then I'm going to release you to pray for some of these yourself and then and then for uh, whatever you may have on your heart. And we have two prayer request cards that are, that are here tonight. So we're going to start by praying for our leaders because the Bible says to do that. And this is where I find Christians struggle. When the, when, when the person that they like and stands for what they believe in is in office, it's very easy to pray for them. But when somebody you don't like or somebody that stands for things you don't like, they're in office. We don't want to pray for them. And yet that's not what the Word of God says. I've showed you this before. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, Pray for kings and all those that are in authority that you may lead a quiet and peaceful life. The king that was in authority when he wrote that was Nero who was one of the most, most vile, terrible of all the Roman emperors. And Paul said to pray for him. It's amazing when you pray for somebody you don't like. That's why Jesus says to pray for your enemies. It's amazing when you really pray for them, how much God's heart for them begins to flow through you and it begins to change you. So we're going to obey the word of God tonight. He says, first of all, pray for kings and rulers and those that are in authority, all those that are in authority, that you may lead a quiet and peaceful life. And then he goes on to talk about God's will for salvation. God's will is that those leaders you don't like get saved. 
God cares about them, whether you like them or not, or I like them or not. God cares about them. So we're going to do that, and we're going to pray for our president, because the Word says to do that. We're going to pray for other leaders. We're going to pray for our governors here, Rhode Island and Massachusetts, some other leaders. Because by doing this, when we adjust our hearts to do this, God begins to work in us and change us. And then we're going to go on to pray for some needs within this church, and then I will release you. Father, thank you for the word tonight. Thank you that you encourage us. And you can get up and walk around if you want, just wherever you feel comfortable. Father, we just thank you for your word tonight. Lord, help us. Help us to learn to pray. Effectual, fervent prayer that accomplish much. There's so much in this time in which we live where you have placed us at this time in all of eternity of this earth, in all of the time of this epics of this earth. You've chosen to place us here at this time because there's some things you want to do. And Lord, they're only going to happen. We're only going to know what to do. And they're only going to happen as we learn to come together in prayer. I believe the greatest desire of your heart, I know it was of Jesus' heart because he said so, is that his church would be one. One heart, one mind. Different colors, different nationalities, diversity. But in that diversity, that our hearts would be one in our devotion and love and commitment to follow him. So, Father, our first prayer tonight, even before we pray for leaders, is that we, you enable your church through the Holy Spirit to answer the desire of our Lord's heart that we would be one. And, Father, for us here at Faith Christian Center, would you start with us? Would you start with us, with our differences, with the differences of attitudes and differences of opinion and differences of background and all the things that are, are all of our flesh. And would you fill us with your spirit, the spirit of unity, that we may truly be one. Father, in this church, there's an amazing opportunity because there is such an outward diversity. But we must be one in our spirit and one in our hearts and one in our love for one another, as well as our love for you. And now, Father, we obey what your Spirit has taught us to do through the Word. We pray for those that are in leadership and authority over our lives. We recognize, Lord, that the authority that they have has come from you. For all authority only comes from you, and you have entrusted it to them to exercise it on behalf of the benefit of people that you love and care for so much. Not just the church, but all human beings. And so, Father, we pray for our president, Lord. First of all, that you would open the eyes of his understanding, that he would see the hope of your calling for his life that's in Christ, that he would open his eyes to see his need for Jesus Christ in his life. 
We pray for his soul, Father, because it matters to you. It matters to you, Lord. We look at people from outward signs. We look at people through the news media. We look, but you look at their heart. You look at their life. And Jesus died for them. They're valuable and precious to you. And so we pray for your will to be done in his life. We pray, Father, for your will to be done in, his, in the exercise of the authority and responsibility that he has. Father, help him to see that the, that the authority that he has is from you, not from the people, and that he will give an account to you for how he exercises that. Teach him the fear of the Lord, that he may make the decisions that he makes with a reverence for who he is serving under. And Father, we pray that you would put around him and across his path, in the White House and in the executive offices, and around his life, people of influence that, are, that know you, and that know your spirit, and that will give him your wisdom and your guidance. We pray for the grace and wisdom that he's going to need, Father, because we have a stake in the decisions that he makes. Father, we pray for our governor here in Massachusetts. We have a change that's coming. We pray for governor, excuse me, governor of Massachusetts. Forgot where I was, Lord. For Governor Baker. We thank you, Father, for this man, and we pray for him tonight again. Lord, that you would continue to give him wisdom and grace, discernment and understanding. Father, that you would put around him men and women that know you, that would give him godly counsel and advice. And we pray for the grace that he needs. We pray for the governor of Rhode Island, Governor Raimondo, Lord, as she prepares to leave, Lord, and is replaced by Governor McGee. We pray, Father, for her as she makes this change, Lord. She's still a governor, and so we pray for the grace and wisdom that she needs. We pray for Governor McGee as he steps into this role, Lord, that he never planned to have with all the overwhelming pressures that come to bear in that office, Lord, with the issues and decisions that need to be made. And we pray for the wisdom that he needs and the grace that he needs. We pray that you put people around him, Father, that will help him and that will strengthen him and give him wisdom and that he will have ears to hear and eyes to see the wisdom that you provide for him, Father. Father, we pray tonight especially for our sister, Dr. Nicole. Lord, you put her in such a critical place, and she has a heart to serve you and to do your will. Lord, you've given her, the, you've given her a mind and an education and experience and training, Lord, that equips her in the natural. But you've also filled her, you with her, your spirit, Father, to strengthen her, to give her grace and encouragement and strength. And so we pray for her tonight, Father, that you would continue day by day, every day, as she goes through each day, one day at a time, that your grace for that day will be there. Your wisdom for that day will be there. Your strength for that day will be there. Your discernment for that day will, will be there, Lord. Lord, there's a spiritual battle that goes on right now, and may, may you protect her in that spiritual battle, Lord, with, from all the pressures that would pull at her. And Father, in the midst of all this, Lord, we remember also that she is a wife and that she is a mother. And may, in the midst of all this pressure, you give her the grace to be a wife to her husband and a mother to their son. And we thank you for these things, Father. Lord, we pray for our local leaders, those that, that, that are in our local leadership here, the selectmen and the different boards that have 
to have effects over this, over this, this, this fellowship here and over the communities in which we live. We pray for wisdom and guidance for those leaders. Father, we pray for the police officers that protect our communities that are under tremendous pressure and stress right now. And we recognize, Lord, that there are officers out there and people out there as there are in any other profession and field whose motives are not right, Lord. But there are many that are faithful servants, faithful servants, Lord, of yours to protect the peace and to protect the people. And we pray for them in this difficult time, Lord, that not only do you keep them safe, but that you encourage them and that you strengthen them. And we thank you for that, Father. And now, Lord, we turn our attention to this fellowship right now. And Father, before we pray for anything else, we want to come together and we want to pray for our brother Denny. Our brother Denny, who's a, is a, a close, best friend. Our brother Denny, Lord, who's been an, an elder here and served here almost, almost for, from the beginning. And he's in a fight for his life. And we come to you, Father, we come to you with the same confidence that Jesus spoke over a situation that looked, looked, looked absolutely helpless because this was a man who was in his grave four days. So we know that the resurrection power of Jesus is mighty enough to raise a man from the de- dead. And so that same power, that same resurrection power that... Romans 8.11 says, The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in our brother, Denny Sullivan. And that power, that life of the Holy Spirit will quicken and make alive his heart, his brain, his kidneys, and every organ that's been affected in the battle he's had with this virus. We speak life to every one of those organs in the name that's above every name. We speak life, not death, and declare He will live and not die in the name that's above every name. And Father, we ask You to give us vision to see Him sitting up in bed, see Him talking and communicating with His family. We see Him, Father, by faith, walking into this building where He spent so much of His life. We see it by faith, Father. And this is as far as we can go. And now we release him into your hands to do the things that we've said. We pray for our sister Dawn and for their daughters, for Bethany and for Becky and for Libby, for all their family, Lord. We thank you for the strength that you have given them in, 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 in the weariness of this, of this fight of faith to keep their eyes on you and on their promises, and yet the grace to communicate with the doctors. And those doctors are trying to do the best they know how to do with the natural skills and knowledge that they have. Continue to strengthen Dawn and give her the wisdom and the grace to know how to walk that line, Lord. Encourage her as only your spirit can do. Father, I thank you tonight for all the people that have committed and dedicated themselves to prayer. May they not get weary and well-doing. May you encourage them in their prayer, Lord. And Father, we just thank you for your faithfulness. And now we rest, which is all we can do. And we do what you told Jehoshaphat to do. When he got into a situation, he said, we don't know what to do. We've never been here before. 
But all we know is this much. Our eyes, our eyes are on you. So tell us what to do. And you told him to do three things. To stand, not run. To set himself and to see and to expect your answer and your salvation. And so we renew that commitment again. And we thank you for this, Father. We thank you. Now we pray for anyone else in this fellowship right now, Father. Anyone else that's in, that, in battling this, this COVID virus or any other affliction right now, but especially this one, Lord. We pray for them, Father, tonight. We pray for their healing. We speak wholeness and wellness. We thank you for people in this fellowship that have already been healed, that have already come through this, and we rejoice in that victory. And now we stand with those that may still still be fighting it. We pray for those that are healthy right now, that you will continue to protect them and continue to strengthen them and, and continue to watch over them. Father, Father, we've been asked to pray for one of our, our, our leaders, Lord, that's, that's, that's battling this right now in the hospital. He's been here several times, and it's our brother Fred Price. Father, we pray for him right now, and we speak health and wholeness to his body. We stand against that virus in the name of Jesus, and we declare that he will live and not die, and he will finish the course that you have for him. And we declare these things in, in the mighty name that you've given to us, the name of, of Jesus. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. Father, in this time, this season we're in right now, Lord, we're, there's a change, a shift that's taken place in the spirit realm and in, in the atmosphere around the, the, the earth today and in the church and in, in the communities and in the nations around the world. There's change taking place, Father, and, and for that we need our leaders, our spiritual leaders, to have discernment and leadership. And so we come tonight to Father to pray for the pastors of this area, of this region, who are responsible for shepherding and overseeing the people that you have entrusted to them. We pray for those, Lord, that we have a relationship with. We pray for those that, that have come out of this church and, and are now overseeing other churches. We pray, Father, for them, that they would have the wisdom the grace, the discernment, the encouragement, and the strength to lead their congregations as you would have them led. Wisdom, Father. Wisdom and strength and encouragement, Lord. Strengthen them so that they don't get weary in well-doing, weary in the battle. And help them to lift their eyes off of the circumstances and to see and recognizing the calling that you have for each one of these fellowships and their place in this time that you placed us here. Father, we pray for the leadership in this church. We desperately need your guidance, your leadership, your direction. We desperately need to be discerning what the Spirit is saying so that we as a body will do what you put us here to do. Father, we've already prayed for unity, for a, for a oneness of heart, and now we come together, Father. We've begun a program, Lord, that's designed to help people connect with one another, to help people to come together in small groups and to open their lives up to one another. Father, I believe that one of the changes that's taking place, 
is that ministry is going to happen more from believer to believer than it is from the pulpit to the congregation. Help each of us to recognize that you have put within us grace and gifts that we can share with one another. The grace, Lord, to love and care and accept one another. The grace to be vulnerable and real with one another. Help us as a congregation to recognize how desperately we need each other. That we will grow and learn how to care and love one another at a much deeper level, a heart level, Lord, even a sacrificial level. You've called us to that in your word. You've called us and said that the two things you require of us is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and all our soul. And the second is our neighbor as ourself. And we cannot love God without also loving those he loves. Father, that's only going to happen as your spirit moves in our hearts. What has to take place here? What has to take place in the other churches? What has to take place in the body of Christ can only happen as your spirit draws us together. Father, I also come to you and ask you to draw our hearts together in prayer. The things we've talked about tonight, Lord, that those things, your spirit would begin to call us together in prayer, here and online, wherever it is that we are praying together of one accord. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So, Father, we just thank you for these things. And now I'm going to release the people that are here tonight and online. We're going to spend a few minutes just to pray on our own for some of these things. Your own needs, perhaps, or something. Somebody comes to your heart and your mind. Spend a few minutes just praying for them. and ask, Father, we're asking you right now for the Spirit to lead us, each one of us, and what you would have us pray for, for right now. And then, Lord, we'll come back together to pray for these two prayer requests that we've been given. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We used to have stacks like this. I don't understand this. You can go online to our app or to our website and there's a place to put prayer requests in. And we have these cards that are available in the back. But we have a request to pray for... Uh, and the handwriting's not, I can't read it very well. I think it's Sheena, Jay, Juan, and Kia, Leanna, Briel, and Nathaniel. Father, we pray for a mother and these sons and a daughter. We ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, to open the eyes of their understanding, that they would see the hope of your calling for their life that's in Christ. We thank you for that, Father. We ask you to send labors across their path. Someone that will share the gospel in just exactly the way that they will hear it. We pray for the person that's put this prayer request in that you will give them wisdom of what to say and and what not to say and how to pray and how not to pray. 
And Satan, we bind you because the Word of God says you're the one that blinds the eyes of those that don't believe so that they don't see the glory of the gospel that's in the face of Christ Jesus. And so we exercise the authority that we have over you to blind blinds their eyes from seeing the truth of the gospel. And we thank you, Father, for that in the name of Jesus. I want to share something with you about praying for people that, that are lost for their souls. Uh, I just I saw this this week in something I was watching, and it just brought me back to this. So often when we're praying, we're asking God to save people. And that's useless. He's already done everything He can do. Jesus is not going to die again from them. Jesus has already paid for their sins. What we need to pray for is what Jesus told His disciples to pray for, and that's laborers, people to come across their path at just the right time to share with them the word that they need to hear and then to take authority over Satan because 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says he's the one that blinds the eyes of those that don't believe so that they can't see. And we have authority over him. So that's the role we're to play. And then to thank God that he's at work to reach them. But you, to pray for that God to save them, he's, he's already done it. He's done what he can do. Jesus can't pay for their sins Again, so if that's how you've been praying, I would just encourage you to start praying for people to come across their path, for God to open the eyes of their understanding to see. That's First Ephesians chapter 1. And this last request we have here is for, for healing for Joseph, who's going for a knee replacement surgery, uh, for it to, the surgery to go correctly, for the doctors to have wisdom, um, and so that he can walk again and run. So, Father, we come right now on behalf of Joseph, and we just come into agreement with what he's asked for. He's asked that this surgery be successful. We pray, Father, for the doctors to have wisdom, to know just exactly what to do and what not to do. We pray, Father, for the anesthesiologists, for the grace and wisdom that they need. Father, we just pray for your spirit to be in that room, operating room, watching over this procedure. Satan, we bind you from this. You will not, there will be no complications. And we just declare that Joseph will recover quickly. He will be up walking. He will be running. And this surgery will be successful. And he will need no more. And we just thank you for that, Father, in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Well, let's stand together as we prepare to close. I just want to thank you, those of you that are here and those of you that have joined us online. We're going to do two things right now. If you're here, and I know almost everybody here, so...